we're hopeful that businesses will really start thinking about expanding how they look at potential talent and that they'll be more accepting of neurodiversity in the workplace because these kids can really be an asset when it comes down to it. Welcome to Change Your Mindset Podcast, where it's all about believing in and executing on different and innovative ways to strengthen both your leadership and communication skills to help increase your success, and especially in today's disruptive business environment. One of the most effective ways of building stronger leadership and communication skills is by embracing the principles of improvisation. (laughs) Yes, that's right, improv. Your host, Peter Margaritas, is an improv virtuoso. He's also a certified speaking professional and a CPA, also known as the Accidental Accountant. Each episode of Change Your Mindset is designed to bring you different and innovative ideas, thoughts, and behavioral changes on a variety of differing topics, with the sole purpose of strengthening your critical soft skills. We may call them soft skills, but they are the hardest to master. And when we do, greater success and growth is the result. So jump in and start changing your mindset now. Let's start the show. Today's guest touched an emotional piece of my heart as it relates to my son, Stephen. In my book, Improv is No Joke, I discussed the struggles that we were having with Stephen in second and third grade and getting him to do his homework. As I describe it, it was a battle every single day and this lasted for a couple of years. At one of his doctor's appointments, I mentioned this battle to his pediatrician who suggested that we see a psychologist because it could be something else. And it was. Stephen had and still has a moderately severe case of ADHD and a reading disorder. My guests, Rebecca and Eric Scott, have somewhat of a similar story of their own son, who I'll let them tell you about it. So let me give you some background on both of them. Eric and Rebecca Scott, college sweethearts married in 2006, have the perfect combo of math meets English. Eric is a licensed CPA in Kentucky and is a tax senior manager at Ernst & Young. He focuses on a wide variety of technical topics, including accounting for income taxes, federal income taxes, state and local and franchise taxes, state and local incentives, and issues unique to C-corporations and pass-through entities. His extensive experience in providing multifunctional tax services to large publicly traded multinational and multi-state businesses, as well as privately held businesses and those in their startup phase across multiple industries. Rebecca, who was an autism behavioral intervention specialist before staying home to raise her two children, is now an accomplished author. Her book, Sensational Kids, Sensational Families, Hope for Sensory Processing Differences, chronicles the research, interventions, and mindset shifts that help their family through their son's sensory processing disorder diagnosis. And it has hit bestseller lists and ranked in the Top 10 Amazon Hot New Reviews, three times in the categories of children's health and special needs parenting. She also directs a local homeschool cooperative organization in which she works hard to accommodate all special needs. If you think about it in a different context, it also is the essence 
of great leadership. So before we get to the interview, just a couple of housekeeping items. This podcast is part of the C-Suite Radio Network, turning the volume up on business. This episode is sponsored by Peter A. Margaritas, LLC, also known as The Accidental Accountant. Are you looking for a speaker that can bring powerful content, virtually or in person or on-site, that is memorable and engaging in a way that motivates and inspires your audience? Instead of data dumping and numbing with numbers, imagine your people and teams delivering a financial story to your stakeholders. A story that creates engaging and relationship-building business conversations. Would you be interested in learning more about how that is accomplished? How would you feel if the value your facilitator provided your organization far exceeded the dollar amount on their invoice? Peter Margaritas, CPA and Certified Speaking Professional, delivers all of the above and much, much more. All of Peter's programs can be done virtually, in person and on site at your location, or at an off site venue. Send Peter a note at peter at petermargaritas.com and or visit his website at www.petermargaritas.com to learn more about what Peter can bring to your next conference, management retreat, or workshop. Now let's get to the interview with Rebecca and Aaron. Hey, welcome back, everybody. I'm real excited about my interview today. When we logged into Zoom, my guests, Rebecca and Eric Scott, Eric had on this quite attractive polo shirt, golf shirt. It, it has the colors of blue and white and the lettering of UK, as in the University of Kentucky. And the first thing I threw out of my mouth was go cats, because I'm a graduate of there. And I always love talking to people from my home state of Kentucky. So I'm, I, I got overly excited. So I'm, I'm going to try to keep that enthusiasm up because these guys have a wonderful story to share with you. And first and foremost, thank you guys for taking time out of your schedule on this beautiful, almost 4th of July weekend here in Columbus. It looks like it's nice there. Welcome, Eric and Rebecca Scott. Thank you, Peter, for having us. We're happy to be here. And 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 Eric and I have something else in common. He does it better than I do. He's the CPA. I'm not a very good CPA. I'm the accidental accountant. He's the senior <laughs> manager and tax for EY. I have somebody do my tax return. So that should give you at least an idea. We share the same letters. He's more knowledgeable than I am. And, uh, <laughs> and what do you, wait a minute, what are you doing here? I thought tax season goes to Jan- July 15th. It, it does, but uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things that we try to, to juggle it all. It's a, it's a unique year. There's been lots of change uh, in the tax world. So, uh, as much as we can, we try to keep things moving along, and that's what we're doing today. Well, cool. So, your authors, Rebecca, you're an author. You, you, you've you've been an author for, I think, if I read correctly, almost since the day you were born. I've always wanted to write. I just always figured I'd do fiction. So, mm-hmm. doing a nonfiction memoir about our family and kind of that self help special needs vein um, that was a new idea for us. But I'm excited to have the book published and be on our way. As as you say, he's math and you're English. What a perfect Absolutely. combination. <laughs> so what's the name of the book? Sensational Kids, Sensational Families, Hope for Sensory Processing Differences. 
Okay. I, and as I told you prior, I, I tried to do my research around listen tree processing, and you're going to have to help me and my audience because I know it's a good story, but I don't quite understand the details. And, 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 and if you could share that, because some family might be going through something similar and they're going, they're, they're pushing it off to something else and going, oh, wait, actually, that, that sounds like something that my son or daughter has. Maybe we need to look into this. Okay. We can tell you a little bit about ourselves. Um, we got married in 2006, had two beautiful children. When our youngest son um, was about 18 months, two years old, we started noticing some concerning behaviors. Um, I'll also tell you I was a behavioral therapist with children with autism before getting married and being a homemaker. Okay. And, um, so the concerning behaviors with our son, he had very low eye contact, very little language. He was really a bumper and a crasher. He'd kind of destroy any environment we put him in. We started tag teaming, tag teaming him, you know, who was on Jacob duty and who would take care of our daughter, Annabelle. He didn't sleep well. He had a mealy skin rash. I mean, there were just lots of different things. And being the behavioral therapist and having knowledge of autism, I knew that it wasn't exactly autism, but I didn't know what it was. So we started in with the doctors asking questions. They said it was all behavioral. Um, they said, don't compare him to your daughter. So we got a lot of pushback and it was very frustrating. And the only leg I had to stand on really was um, pushing for speech therapy. So we got him into speech therapy and it was the speech therapist that actually said, you know, he's got some sensory processing differences and you need to get on up to occupational therapy. So we moved there and they were the ones who really helped us understand what sensory processing disorder was. It's not actually its own diagnosis that stands by itself yet, but it's thrown into the pervasive developmental disorder umbrella. That is all of your autism, ADHD, Asperger's, all of that really fits under that umbrella. But um, you can have sensory processing differences without having all of the components of autism. And that's what we were dealing with. So we did about seven years of intense biomedical intervention. We changed the food diet around. We customized a vitamin regimen with the help of integrationists to get his body what it needed to support the nervous system. And then we went on to occupational therapy and worked through a lot of different um, strategies with them. One of them was uh, integrative listening therapies where he would wear little headphones that had modulated music that actually created some new neural pathways in his brain for sensory information to travel. And it was during that strategy that intervention that we started seeing, um, he started feeling pain. He had never felt pain before. He cut his hand open when he was little and just looked at it and he needed stitches, it was bad. He had never felt temperature before. So um, the first time that he was in the bathtub, I think Eric was giving him his bath and realized he had goosebumps and he had never had goosebumps before because his body was misinterpreting the sensory signals that it was taking in. So. Um, Seven years of intense biomedical and occupational therapy, and we're sitting in a really good spot. He's 10 years old in the fifth grade. We homeschool, and he's um, ahead of the curve in a lot of the subjects. He's a very right-brained thinker, and uh, we're just excited with how well he's doing. And we wrote, I wrote the book because I wanted to try to help other families who didn't know what was going on with their own children and kind of in that place where I was at the beginning where I knew something was off, but I didn't know what it was or how to help. And um, I had started blogging to raise awareness for my family and friends so that they understood some of what we were going through. And people started finding us from all over on social media, wanting to follow the story. So it was after repeated requests to put it all in one book 
that we did turn it into a book to try to help other people. And the unique thing about the book is that his occupational therapist wrote professional question and answer sections. So not only are you getting the viewpoint of the mother and the family, but you're getting the professional commentary as well. So my question is, I mean, my, my son was diagnosed with ADHD and you describe your son in those early years, uh, Captain Destructo or, or somebody named him that. My own mother, his own grandmother <laughs> named him Captain Destructo. Well, there's, there's a lot worse things. Than, <laughs> it was a term of endearment for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I remember my son, I mean, but we just kept playing off like that's just, he's just a boy. I mean, and, uh, but then something happened one day. I was like, maybe this is, there's something just not right. And actually, I, I remember when psychologists came out and said, after he did all the tests, he said, your son has a case of ADHD and a moderate reading disorder. And did I feel like parent of the year? No, I felt like the biggest, because he was trying to send me this information, but I wasn't understanding what he was, that I wasn't understanding what he was trying to tell me. I would assume that's the same thing that Jacob was going through as well, right? Yeah. We really kind of think about nervous system function or dysfunction, whichever camp you like to think of it, as a sliding scale. So at the lower end, you've got your learning disabilities, your ADD, ADHD, your SPD with the sensory processing disorder sits kind of in the middle. It builds up into Asperger's and the more severe nonverbal autism. So depending on where you sit on that scale, you might have any cocktail of diagnoses and challenges. And I think from a personal level, you know, as you were describing it, not being able to, to understand and, and take the information that, that your in, um, person was trying to give you. I mean, I, I felt a similar way for Jacob. Um, our first child, Annabelle, was very quiet, very pensive. Jake was a complete 180 from that. And, you know, your, your initial reaction as a parent is just to protect them and say, you know, that's just a boy. He's all boy. Yes, he's bouncing off the walls literally, but that's just what boys do. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I think no parent wants to ever hear that something is wrong with their child. And I think once you get past that, that, okay, something is not right, fine. Let's figure out a way to fix it. Rebecca got there a whole lot faster than I did. Um, I remember going into the occupational therapy when he did his initial eval. And I, I just... I wanted to be someplace else, <laughs> you know, because I didn't I didn't see all the behaviors that she did, of course, because she was with them much more than I was. But I think as a as a parent, you just it's difficult to accept that something's not right, but you gotta get there. You gotta get to that point and get over it because there's there's ways to help them on the other side of that of that analysis. I think the only reason that I did better with it is because I had the background as a therapist. So I already had that mindset of early intervention. Let's dig in and, you know, let's fix the parts of it uh, that we could improve. So like when we talk about the biomedical intervention and fixing some of that biology, he truly, he was deficient in 14 out of 16 major um, minerals, vitamins, and antioxidants. These were things that we could help, you know? And so digging in and trying to fix what we could fix to help support him. And he still has sensory processing differences, but they don't inhibit his life like they used to. And we definitely would more consider him just ADHD now. So, so I mean, the, the challenge with ADHD, it's that, that learning disability, that impulsiveness. And, and the crazy thing was when 
he was diagnosed with ADHD and given the symptoms, I looked at the doc. I said, are you talking to me or him? Hmm. That was my first instinct that and I was diagnosed with adult ADHD. And I've come to learn my impulsive behaviors and I can feel them coming on. But I, I can see my he's 20 years old now. He has those impulsive behaviors and I'm going, this, <laughs> you got to take care of yourself. You got to realize these things. So how do you, your son, you said your son's 10, right? Yes. So at 10 years old and trying to be a kid at 10 years old, that was Stephen's biggest challenge too, is trying to be a kid. So how are you helping? What strategies have you used to help him to be a kid again or, or, or maintain that, that, that child? Yeah. Well, we've always tried to be very honest with him about the challenges, and we've always tried to reframe it very positively at why his differences actually make him very special. And um, that is a good thing. And we have to work on the behaviors some of the time. He's got quirky little behaviors where he thinks he's being funny at times. And sometimes he's gen- he is the clown of the family and he has us laughing all the time. But there's times when it's not appropriate to be making jokes about whatever, but he doesn't realize it. It's there's that social key of, you know, not being able to exactly read what how it's going to come across to other people. But we just try to keep, you know, keep him as honest as we can. And we work with him through homeschool. And he has um, a lot of friends. We've built a co-op from scratch, you know, that allows him to be a kid and just to go and play with a very close knit group that understands his differences where he can really just be a kid. And it's okay, you know, to have those differences. Was Stephen? He had a hard time adjusting initially with it. He um, he he just felt like because we had to hold him back. He just felt like he was out of the loop, especially when we had to. But that was the best thing for him. And he finally realized that around eighteen. Thanks, Dad. Thanks, Mom, Dad. Because I know you were trying to help, but man, those years were tough. Yeah, and you know, and with Jacob. For him, as talking about being a kid, you know, going to parties or going to to other events or picnics, you know, we we always send him with his own bag of food. Because so much of the intervention interventions that Rebecca discovered through the research was, you know, taking out a lot of the food diet, taking out a lot of dairy and wheat and gluten and other things. Um, so a traditional birthday party, you know, um, with cake and ice cream. Well, he can't have those. <laughs> so we always make sure that he's got something. That while the kids are eating cake and ice cream, okay, well, here's your cookie and your sorbet, right? Things that he can have, still partake in the activity, just not in the, the same food. And I, I think that's that's critical too. So he still feels that natural association and the group activity, but he has to have some accommodations. And I think, you know, we it's just one of those things to be mindful of. Um, for him though, I don't know if he sees a difference. I think he's young enough that it's always... That's how it's always been. Yeah. You know, he doesn't remember a time where it's been any different. And so he knows that when other people are starting to get something to eat, he knows that, you know, chances are if there's a party snack that's laid out, he probably can't have it. So he knows to look or come ask um, and, or look for his specific uh, lunchbox <laughs> where he, all of his food is at. So I, I think he's he's very aware from that perspective. He was diagnosed at three. So he's really just grown up this way. Everybody has, so it's not really any different for him. He cut his hand but couldn't feel it. Mm. The water was so cold, he had goosebumps, but he couldn't feel it. They're so warm that, and being Captain Destructo, <laughs> and 
bouncing and running into things. I mean, he had to have bruises all the time in, in essence. And, and just was during this time, did you know that he, he had SPD or was it still in the discovery stage? When he cut his hand, he was about two and a half and we did not know. We just thought he had a very high tolerance of pain. And um, he got diagnosed at three and a half when we started intervention. And we didn't find out about the pain. It didn't start clicking until he was around four years old. And when we started um, with the integrative listening therapy, it was it, you could really see the transition. And he fell down and skinned his knee up one day and his sister standing there saying, oh, Jacob, you're hurt. And, and it's like he realized, ouch, something hurt. But he's looking at his elbows and he's looking at his fingers. He's looking at his toes. He didn't even know it was his knee. So until she got down and touched his knee, then he saw his boo-boo. And then, you know, it was real to him. But that's how sensory processing disorder works. We all have a sensory system and you intake all of the information from your senses and it, your brain tells you what's important to listen to and what's not, and you output a behavioral response. So when you have a disorder of that system, something is getting mixed up or the signals are not even getting through. So of course his body was taking in pain signals, you know, when he was little, but his brain was like a country road and it, the messages were not getting through obviously. And then when we were doing that listening therapy, very slowly, we started seeing him process pain and temperature. He could spin and spin and spin and never get dizzy. We, saw, we started seeing him process that, you know, the vestibular movement that would make him dizzy. So it was a, it was really a miraculous thing to watch. Yeah, <laughs> it was calling for him. Yes. We, we hung up a special sling in his room uh, that you could wind, you know, uh, hooked up to the rafters. And he literally would love to stuff them up in there, get all of his lovies, his plush toys and stuff as tight as we could. And then we'd sit there and we'd wind it up, buddy, as tight as we could and just let it go. And he would fall asleep in there because it was so calming to him. He loved it. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. So he's 10 now. And so, because I, I was, as I'm trying to think about this through and, and things with my son with the ADHD, because you said it's kind of transitioned itself into more of an ADHD mode. Um, and, and Stephen, for a while, was on some medication. He, he's off of it. But school became a big challenge for him. And so much so that even through, even if, even though we, we sent him back a year, as he progressed through, he graduated high school. We had you know, we had slight concern at one point if he was going to graduate. But it was just, it was so much harder for him to study and stuff. And a, a buddy of mine whose son had ADHD, when we diagnosed him, he told, he told us that's probably one of the biggest challenges he's had with his family is getting him to that point to get ready for college. Yeah. Is, it, is it kind of the same path uh, uh, for Jacob as well? Well, we, when he was diagnosed at three, we tried to put him in a um, special needs preschool that we thought would be able to help. And I ended up being in there most of the time trying to help them help my child. So we decided we weren't going to pay for thousands of dollars to um, send him to a school. There would have been no hope in a public school system, even with the IEPs and the 504 plans and all the accommodations. The, the best teacher could not have handled him with 29 other students that you need to try to take care of. So that's actually how we turned to homeschooling. And that's made a lot of the challenges other people face so much easier because he's a very kinesthetic learner. So we can pull all of the concepts off the page. 
We can teach him the way that he learns and um, he can take as many breaks as he needs through the day to get his work done. He takes a lot of sensory breaks where we kind of think about um, all these kids have a sensory bucket that you have to fill it up to the just right level so that they can function well and they can concentrate and focus and stay regulated. And um, it's no problem when you're working at home like that for him to run out and play water balloons or go swing on the swing set or jump on the trampoline and come back ready to do his work and to do it well. So um, we had to build in our co-op and a little cottage school that he goes to and takes one or two classes a week. And so just a little bit of a taste of how to sit with other kids and another teacher besides me and his sister. But we've loved it and it's, it's gone really well. And as far as college path, we don't know exactly, you know, where he'll end up or what he'll, you know, every what 10 year old boy wants to be a YouTuber. So <laughs> that's where we are at the moment is we, he wants to be a YouTuber, but um, we're hopeful that businesses will really start thinking about expanding how they look at potential talent and that they'll be more accepting of neuro neurodiversity in the workplace because these kids can really be an asset when it comes down to it. Their skill sets, you know, are sometimes far beyond neurotypical people. And it has to click. And I apparently I, I'm a I'm bookworm. I turned into a bookworm because I was only like a pass the CPA exam and become got a master's degree in the stuff that I never thought about. But he is just the opposite. I mean, the traditional learning process of reading a book and applying it just does not sit with him. He's got to be more hands-on and be able to do something, create something visually. And that has always been our struggle with the school system and trying to do that. Yes, we had the, the IEP, the 504 and, and all that intervention. And it helped, but it, did, it didn't motivate him at all. Yeah. Yeah. The What I know about the school systems and things that I've read and researched in general, they're very left-brained. And these neurodiverse kids and people are very right-brained. So how it's fitting that circle peg into a square hole. Yeah. And until, until the school systems, until the businesses, until the communities at large really start figuring out how to make it more accommodating and accessible for the neurodiverse people. You know, when we get to that point, then great things are going to explode because, you know, these kids, they're being held back by how the systems are set up and it's not accessible. You know, if, you, if these kids were in a wheelchair, you would build ramps. You know, if um, they couldn't hear and they could get a cochlear implant, you would do that. So it's about making things more accessible so that they can shine in the great ways that they can. So I, I think you all are starting to incorporate a little bit of neurodiversity into the workplace too, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think some of the professions are are coming around to that, um, and I think as as we 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 realize that the that you know the accounting profession is changing quite a bit. I mean, just you know, I've been in public practice for fourteen years, and in that fourteen years, I have seen so much change in the tax code, uh, in the accounting profession. They've had a recodification, uh, but then the implementation of technology. Just you know, there's so much technology that is incorporated into this. And so I think there's an understanding by, by a lot of the larger companies and maybe even some of the smaller local firms as well, is that you know the, the way we have done things in the past 10, 15 years is not gonna be the way we do them in the next five. 
right? The pace of that change is accelerating and technology is going to be at the heart of that. And so it is a recognition then of, okay, well, the talent that we've looked for in the past is not necessarily the same talent we need in the future. And there's been a pretty big expansion uh, across the, the the firms that I've seen and, and certainly one that I work for um, in terms of what, what type of talent they go after. It is still accounting majors, yes, but then a lot of econ, a lot of um, IT infrastructure, people that understand coding, because now when we talk about audits, you know, I do tax work, I don't do audits, but we we have folks that will go in and will audit an IT system, right? They'll basically try to go hack it. Where where's the weak points in the system? Because all that is is you know structurally how businesses are built upon. And I think there's been an understanding that the neural diversity of folks is critical to be able to get those different perspectives. Because the way certain people, you know, like Jake he'll attack a problem different than I would, right? But that doesn't mean his way is right or my way is wrong. It just means that this is a different perspective. And sometimes if you can build a, a team with different perspectives, you're going to get a better answer, it can be a better result. And, and so I, I think there's there's a lot to be said for that inclusiveness, right? And and then to your point about bringing in accommodations, uh, you know, it we, we saw workplaces there was a term that we use in the firm called workplace of the future, where we have not really cubes, right? Cubicles really aren't a thing anymore, but we had different workstations. And some of the workstations allowed you to raise or lower the table so that you could stand and work for a few hours or, or not. Others would have, you know, many treadmills in them. So you could kind of keep moving because it was a recognition that people like to move as they're doing. It helps them think. And I think there's just a natural progression and evolution to that thought process that I think that's the next wave of it is, okay, now that we've got this physical workspace, what else do we need to, to think about to accommodate for the rest of the folks that may need those additional accommodations? The traditional university is not meant for everybody, even though we've been told that that's supposed to be meant for everybody in, in essence. But here, in, I'm based out of Columbus, Ohio, and Stephen wanted to start off at Columbus State, which was great. But then I didn't realize my, my, my buddy, we were talking, he says, have you looked at any of the certificate programs? <laughs> and the amount of certificate programs they had was phenomenal. And, 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 and almost every different variety that, you know, he's, he's taking a gap year now. Uh, he's not an online learner. As, as a lot of kids aren't. So he, he's just going to take a gap year. But we'll have the conversation of, Find something that you love, learn it. You don't have to have the history and the philosophy and all that other stuff, but learn it, get a job, start making a living, and you can always go back and finish your degree if that's something that you truly want to do. But then you read that Google and, and Apple are creating their own universities where you don't, you know, high school, and then you go work for them and graduate from their university, and they've got the skills necessary to succeed. Mm-hmm. Without having to go to the brick and mortar, UK, U of L, the Ohio State University. <laughs> <laughs> All my Ohio State friends are going to give me a really hard time for that. But you know, it's it's education, higher education is 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 changing rapidly, but it's slow. And I know that sounds a little crazy, uh, but academia, you know, it's like turning a battleship on a dime. But it seems that there's been some cutting edge work done maybe at the community college level, to accelerate and be more inclusive in that education and bringing bring different uh, um, 
what was the word you diversity into the classroom and not pushing them away. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, I think maybe one of the silver linings of this pandemic is that you know the, the universities and frankly businesses in general aren't able to operate the same way they did before. So this pandemic is is as bad as it is. It is also a, an agent of change, and you know. I, I like to be an optimistic person. I like to think that, well, that change, we, we will come through the stronger and better. And I think it will be a, a good change, you know, to, to recognize that just because the way we have always done things is not the way we need to continue to do them. And there are better ways to, to enable people to learn, to work, uh, and, and to get solutions. Absolutely. Um, I'm writing an article about that right now. About So you remember the day when the internet was just a fad? <laughs> on, on this online buying, this e-commerce was just, you know, that, that's going to die. Brick and mortar is going to be here forever. And then I go on to say, but you know what? I remember the time when we thought remote working that all, that, no, you can't be productive working remotely. All you're doing is eating bonbons and watching Alan. <laughs> come, come to find out. So there's a number of firms that I, I, I work with here in Ohio and in Maryland that they're now having the conversation of going, do I need all this overhead? Do I need all this real estate? Mm-hmm. You know, they were, we've been productive for three, four months, uh, and actually, they want to stay home. So it's it's an interesting evolution that's happening. A conversation as it relates to the, this pandemic, which is horrible, but there's always a silver lining somewhere. In it, and and I, I love that it has been an agent of change. Yeah. Uh, so tell me something about Jacob that. Every time you think about it, you just smile. It's he's a comedian. I mean, when we're trying to parent and uh, and he's got you laughing when you're not supposed to be laughing, especially him. <laughs> it's like, would you come on? Because, you know, <laughs> I need him to know that I'm serious, you know, and for Jacob to see both of us serious, but we're both laughing. So oh, okay. that's him. He's a very carpe diem type of a clown kind of kid. It's just, he's a bundle of joy and emotion all rolled into one and makes you live in the moment. That's that's so cool because I'm, I'm a frustrated comedian myself. But I tell you what, if he's got that same mindset, when he sees you laughing, it just makes him keep going. Oh, going yeah. And, going. Uh-huh. And, and the only way to get him to stop is quit laughing. But a lot of times he just can't. Right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And so, then... Uh, I was going to say, and then Annabelle, our other one, um, she's the intense writer and she's all into creative writing and wants to write her own books. And she's seen us go through the process and now she's all interested in it. And she's a, she's a whole bundle of joy right on her own. How old is she? She is going to be 13 this year. Okay. And she already knows she wants to be a writer. Boy, she must have got that from dad, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, she wants words. she wants to be an obstetrician as well. She's always talked since she was little itty bitty about wanting to be a doctor. So we've heard obstetrician. We're recently hearing actress. We're hearing creative writer. She's kind of our engineering inventive type kid. So lots of yeah, that's great. Um, so so let's talk about this book, this process. So you're a writer, but you said you were more of a fiction writer versus nonfiction. So. What was the thing that made you go, I need to write this book because, and I know it's to, to help, but that had to be, what was the switch in there, that, that thought process? It was that so many people 
were finding us already on social media and asking me questions. And I, I really felt like I was saying things over and over and over again to new people that didn't know. And so there was just a large audience that needed this type of book so that they could, you know, have it in their hands and have all the ideas in one place and be able, um, it's very reader friendly. It's a fast read and how we have set it up with the different chapters, anything that you need that's applicable to your life, you can just flip to that chapter and read. And there was just a real calling that they needed this type of a book to try to help people because especially early intervention is so important. And if you can get in that early intervention window, you can make so many good positive changes in the nervous system while it's still very malleable. And uh, so it was just, it was a story that needed to be told. About five years from the time when um, we started working on it, drafting it, um, and then we started homeschooling in the middle and it kind of got shelved for a while. And then Eric was actually the one who, you know, we're really comfortable. This is year seven homeschooling. You know, we were really comfortable in our routine. He says, you know, you need to pull that back out and you need to finish it. And I had kind of put it up and was, wasn't done with it, but just, I didn't have my mind on it at that point. But when he started telling me, you know, you need to finish it, need to finish it. And then I know that, you know, our friend, Stephanie Fager, um, he went to, we both went to college with her, but he knew her, not me. And he said, I need to introduce you to this girl, Stephanie. She's published her own book. And we ended up being in the mall one day. And I'll never forget it. We were only out there because our daughter was babysitting out in in that end of the town. And Stephanie happened to be at the mall and never goes to that mall. They had stopped by to get her daughter a pretzel. We walked past each other. And the look on Eric's face was just... You know, and he, he couldn't talk. He's trying to get me to stop walking. I'm, I'm ready to go to my store, you know, and he's getting me to stop and he's looking back at her and he's trying to get her name out and get her to stop. So by the time he got us connected, it was one of those moments where we know this is big and this is important and this is supposed to happen. So that, that is cool. uh, we have the same publisher. Uh-huh. And, and, and so Stephanie introduced you to Kate at the Silver yep. Tree and. Yep. Yeah, uh, I've had I've had two wonderful publishers, Advantage Media Group, who did my first book, and, and Kate and Silver uh, Silver Tree Communications, a actual book. And I tell you what, I've talked to folks who have written books and didn't have that type of publisher, and it's hard enough to write the book, but it turns into a nightmare after that. So I have to put a plug in for both my publishers. Yeah, uh, especially since we share one here because they they it's worth the price to get it done right well and and kate kate and stephanie are excellent editors as well yes absolutely we have loved the whole process Peter, i'll throw in one thing real quick just about the, the, the book and the process you know when we were going through it there was a lot of research that rebecca did that frankly had not been aggregated it was a lot of piecemeal she was trying to track down this and track down that. We talked to different people, different doctors. They say, well, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? Her, her occupational therapist that is also um, the, the professional commentator. So there, there's lots of information out there, but there wasn't a good way to, to really sift through it all and think through it and aggregate it. And I think that's another benefit of the book is that what Rebecca did is she curated you know, a lot of this information and has cited all of it as additional resources so it, it really is, it's things that work for us. Yes, absolutely. But it's also a wonderful resource to, you know, for a, a parent or anybody else that maybe is struggling with something that could be sensory processing. Here's other resources. 
as opposed to all the legwork that Rebecca had to do to go and do all that research on her own. It was a lot. So remind my audience, the, 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 the name of the book again is? Sensational Kids, Sensational Families, Hope for Sensory Processing Differences. And it came out March of 2020, if I'm, if I'm correct. And it's available yes. on Amazon.com. Yes. And probably a number of other uh, uh, book processing, publishing sites as well. Uh, how can, um, if somebody's listening to this, going, I need to get a hold of you guys. How can they find you? How can they get a hold of you? We're both on LinkedIn and, um, and I'm on Facebook and I have a follow-up kind of support group on Facebook that um, started out kind of as our launch team for the book. And it has turned into a sensational page of information following continuing, you know, our family story and the book success. And so you can find me there as well and kind of keep up with the story and what's going on with us. Your website? And I do have a website. Um, it's sensationalkids, sensationalfamilies.com. And if you go to Amazon, because I was, you know, I clicked on says look and see inside. Mm-hmm. Um, take that early read. It's well worth the read. It's an interesting story that she, she opens up with and shares with in, in this book. And uh, I just want to thank you both for taking time to, to, to visit with me, to, to share your story. Uh, and I hope that you get uh, emails, phone calls, people contacting you saying, I bought your book and it really helped us with our child. It just made that big a difference. Yeah, we've already got one of them. That was probably one of the best things after writing it. You know, you go through the whole process of writing. It's like birthing a third child, you know, and you think, gosh, you know, should we have done it? You have all these doubts after the fact, but it's out there. You know, our story's out there for better or for worse. And um, I had a grandmother and then her daughter both contact me and say, you know, we've read the book and they had started their little girl. She was about four years old on um, took out some food allergies that they were suspecting, started in with some Epsom salt baths, which is one of our suggestions, started in with a sensory diet. They just took a vacation and, um, and implemented a lot of our vacation strategies with visual schedules and visual aids and timers and things. And she said that she has calmed down. She's sleeping through the night and uh, she's actually starting to make eye contact and she's being more present in the moment, like she's really seeing what's going on around her. And I remember when that happened for Jacob. So that was a big deal, you know, to think if you just help the one person, but we we know the book has already got into um, over into England. I've had some contacts into India and the Philippines and other places. And so it's, it's growing and it's really exciting. Thank you for sharing your story with my audience. And I, I'll leave it with, uh, I, I want to hear the story in about three or four years again and, and see how Jacob's doing. Yeah. And I have to say at the go cats. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> thank you both so very much. I want to thank Rebecca and Eric for their time and sharing their story. We all need to change our mindset and adapt to new realities to better our families, both personal and professional. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, please take a moment and review it on iTunes or whatever platform you download your podcast episodes. Also, please subscribe and share this episode with a friend. I will conclude by saying, you all know who've been listening to this for a while, I'm an uh, improv versioso. I love everything improv. And improv is like the hokey pokey. You have to put your whole self in. 
Like what you just heard? Visit c-suiteradio.com. C-Suite Radio, turning the volume up on business. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.